In Rodgers and Hammerstein's iconic 1965 musical, The Sound of Music, the main character, the free-spirited Maria, is in the middle of discerning whether she is ready to devote her life to being a nun when she falls in love with Captain Von Trapp. Frightened about her feelings, she runs back to the abbey where she has this exchange with the mother abbess. Maria, are you in love with Captain Von Trapp? I don't know. I don't know. Tell me about it, my child. Brigitte said that I was, and that her father was in love with me, and, and then there he was, and we were looking at each other, and I could hardly breathe. That's when I knew I couldn't stay. But you do like him, Maria. Oh, yes. And did you let him see how you felt? If I did, I didn't know that I did. That's what's been torturing me. I was there on God's errand. To have asked for the captain's love would have been wrong. I don't know, Mother. I do know this. I am ready at this very moment to take the vows of poverty, obedience, and chastity. Maria, the love between a man and a woman is holy too. You told me you remembered your father and mother before they died. Do you remember? Were they happy? Oh, yes, Mother. They were very happy. My child, you were born of their happiness, of their love. Oh, my child, you have a great capacity to love. What you must find out is, how does God want you to spend your love? I've pledged my life to God's service. I've pledged my life to God. My daughter, if you love this man, it does not mean you love God less. Hi, this is Justin Hibbert, and you're listening to Why Catholic, my podcast about the what and why of Catholicism. If you've been following along with this podcast, you know that we have been focusing on the sacraments. This episode is the last of three episodes on the sacrament of marriage. In the Catholic faith, there's often this temptation to see ministry as something relegated to those who take particular vows, priests, deacons, nuns, etc. We'll talk about those offices in just a couple of episodes when we start talking about sacrament of orders. But as Mother Abbess tells Maria in The Sound of Music, one does not love or serve God less because they have chosen marriage instead of a particular vow of ministry. Because as the Catholic Church defines marriage, it isn't just a choice one makes. It is a calling. A calling is a vocation. When I became Catholic, I heard a whole different definition of marriage and parenting. The purpose of marriage, the purpose of being a parent, is to help your spouse and your children get to heaven. I had never heard that prior to becoming Catholic, even in all my years of Protestant upbringing. I suppose it's partly because the differences in soteriology, which is the theology of salvation, between Catholics and Protestants, something we'll talk about in a future episode. If you recall, in the first episode on marriage, episode 32, called The Jewish Roots of Marriage, I pointed out that when God decided to create a woman, he said that his intention was to create an azer. Azer is often translated as helper or helpmate, but just about any time it's used in the Old Testament, it refers to the hand of God. 
In the last episode, I quoted Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27 state, quote, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word, so as to present the church to himself in splendor, without a spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind. Yes, so she may be holy and without blemish, end quote. When we look at words like azer and Paul's exhortation in Ephesians 5, we see that marriage is much more than feelings, much more than a choice, even much more than a responsibility. It's a serious vow. Marriage is a sacrament. Remember that in a sacrament, we see both a sacred oath from the Latin word sacramentum and a mystery from the Greek word mysterium. Thus, when we enter into marriage, not just the wedding, but even the daily routine of marriage, We should see it as serious as the other sacraments like baptism, the Eucharist, confession, etc. The problem is is that we can easily lose sight of the purpose of marriage, just like going to Mass can sometimes become rote and routine rather than mystical and holy. Our world, by and large, has lost sight of the purpose of marriage. It seems Western society has devolved to a point where marriage is not seen as a blessing but as a burden. We stigmatize it with phrases like settling down or the old ball and chain. It's becoming more and more rare to see people enter into marriage before their 30s. In fact, it's almost shocking when someone under the age of 25 gets married. I don't mean to suggest that everyone should jump into marriage. No, that's not it at all. We should discern the calling and commitment to marriage like an individual discerns the calling and commitment to becoming a priest. Whether it's the priesthood or marriage, when we frame vocations without celebrating the blessing that it is, we subtly teach people that it's not a vow to ascend to. Let me give you an illustration. I live in Utah, and there's a lot of Mormons here. As you may know, male Mormons often put their life on hold and go on a two-year mission. It's optional, but it's celebrated so much that people are eager to do it. While slightly less common, women also have the option to do a a year-and-a-half mission. These Mormon missionaries look forward to leaving their families, leaving their significant others, putting a pause on their education, and going to some place that their church will send them. And if you're ever in the Salt Lake City airport, you'll likely see crowds of people with posters and signs and balloons waiting to embrace the missionaries when they return. The problem is that our world is constantly bombarding us with contrarian messages about marriage. So instead of it being an aspiration and joy and goodness... It's a burden. I mentioned in the last episode that I grew up watching Married with Children. Talk about a show that portrayed a very hopeless sense of marriage. The wife was lazy. The husband wasn't affectionate. The husband was constantly admiring other women. The two kids were unintelligent, not curious. They were licentious. This is just some of the messaging that our media gives us about marriage and family. So instead of seeing marriage as this holy sacrament, this aspirational vocation, this calling, It has been deduced to something you put off, something you do after you've accomplished all you want, relegated to feelings, to convenience, to compatibility. You probably wouldn't be surprised if I told you that the more society pushes away Christianity and the Christian understanding of marriage, the more marriages decrease and divorces increase. We don't have to go far to see the havoc that has wreaked on marriage and society in general. An estimated 41% of marriages in the U.S. end in divorce. And while divorce has gradually declined and is at its lowest point in 60 years, the marriage rate has declined by 63% since 1970. A stark example of this is in Spain, which was once the beacon of Catholicism. 
While two out of every three Spaniards define themselves as Catholic, only 5% attend Mass every Sunday, and 73% admit to never or almost never attending Mass. Regarding marriage, 80% of marriages are now civil marriages in Spain, and the number of divorces has increased from 9,000 in 1980 to nearly 90,000 in 2021. Spain has another significant problem, a negative birth rate. Since 1960, the amount of children women are having fell from 2.86 to 1.23. In 2018, there were nearly 55,000 more deaths than births. The problem is not unique to Spain. In the U.S., over the same period of time, the birth rate has fallen from 3.65 to 1.64. And while the U.S. overall still has more births than deaths, half of all states and three-quarters of all counties in the U.S. reported more deaths than births, a startling trend. What this means for the future is that countries will rely more heavily on immigration in order to support its negative aging population. Again, I don't want to suggest that everyone should jump into getting married and having kids, but the problem in the Western world is that we undermine the value of marriage and parenting. Instead of seeing family as the beacon of society, having children is stigmatized as a burden and a setback. And so in order to fulfill their sexual desires while unburdening themselves from the responsibility of having kids, society has invented all sorts of ways of suppressing pregnancies, from birth control to the abhorrent and barbaric practice of abortion. In a society that rewards work and penalizes motherhood, it should come as no surprise that companies are offering to pay for abortions, even if it means paying for the travel expenses in the instance that abortion is illegal in that woman's state. Let's call a spade a spade. It's more advantageous for a company to pay for an abortion than it is for maternity or paternity leave. Oh, the irony of a corporation exterminating the possibilities of families in order to keep people enslaved in the corporate grind under the guise of wokeness. They're merely missing the sign on their doors that says, Arbeit macht frei. Work makes you free. You may have noticed that I'm not mincing words. Society has lost the plot. Because here's the thing. I want you to think about, for just a second, the miracle of life. I mean, really think about it. A man and a woman engage in sexual intercourse, and this human life develops in the mother's womb. I remember when my wife began showing the first signs of labor, and I thought, oh my goodness, tomorrow I'm going to meet a new human being that's going to become a part of my world for the rest of my life. There's nothing in this world, no accomplishment, no title, nothing that is more significant and more, dare I say the word, magical than being able to procreate. When we create life, we're imitating God the creator. Just as he brought life into the world, that's what we're doing when we have children. The Catholic Church has always recognized this. As our society ebbs and flows in various movements, whether it's the industrial revolution or equality in the workplace, the church puts a priority on marriage and family because nothing, nothing, nothing in the world can replace the sacrament of marriage and the miracle of bringing life into the world. Our jobs are important and our careers matter. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying, please. But jobs come and go. Careers at one point will end. And maybe we'll have a reward collecting dust on the mantle. When we leave our workplace, they find someone else to replace us. But marriage and family are irreplaceable. A child is going to have lots of influencers in their life. Teachers, coaches, pastors. 
they only have one person that they call mom and one person that they call dad. And when all is said and done, we bear the responsibility, the calling, the reward of presenting our spouse and our children to Jesus. Nobody else carries that weight more than a spouse and a parent. It is our purpose in life to serve them in a way that helps get them to heaven. No pressure, right? My wife and I just celebrated our 20th anniversary. When we got married, I was barely 22 and she was 20. We look back at our wedding pictures and we think, boy, look at those two kids who were in love. There were a number of people in our lives at the time that told us that we were too young. I don't think we were. Now, I'm no expert on marriage. I have the same problems, maybe even more that others experience. But here's what I do know. You're never ready to be married. You're never ready to have kids. Nobody is ever emotionally or financially ready for those things. Whenever someone says, I'll get married or I'll have kids when I'm emotionally or financially ready, I say, great, define what emotionally and financially ready means. Usually they can't. Marrying the person you love is important. Loving the person you marry is more important. Because here's the thing, you and your spouse are going to go through stuff. It's going to change you. And chances are you and your spouse are going to change in different ways. Kids are going to come and that's going to change your priorities and relationships in major ways. It's going to change what you do, what kind of car you buy, where you go on vacation, what time you get up in the morning, even where you live and the type of community you belong to. I think a lot of people marry their situation, the person at that specific time, their circumstances, their financial stability, the fun that they have together. Marriage is about marrying a person, a person, a person who will change over time, who will get wrinkles on their body, who will get sick, who will go through things like losing parents, who will have incredible days and even maybe depressing seasons. I want to go back to the Garden of Eden for just one second, because there's something that strikes me as rather remarkable. When even Adam ate the forbidden fruit, there's lots of things that changed for them. They felt shame for the first time. Adam treated his wife with horrific contempt and blamed God for giving her to him. And then they lost their home. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Everything changed for them suddenly and drastically. Then they had to go through something no parent should ever have to go through. They lost their child Abel. And not only did they lose their child Abel, their other child Cain was the one that killed him. There are marriages that just go through the unimaginable. Adam and Eve have got to top that chart. But with all of the problems they faced, all of the drastic and the terrible, we don't see them give up. Adam didn't bail on Eve and Eve didn't leave Adam. In fact, there's this little epitaph at the end of Genesis 4 that gives us hope. After Cain killed Abel, it says, quote, Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord, end quote. Despite the shame, the embarrassment of losing a home, the horror of one son murdering another, Adam and Eve continued on. And in that marriage, even in the brokenness and the pain of losing so much, there's this beacon of hope. It says, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Adam and Eve were carrying out the purpose of marriage, helping each other and their children get to heaven. 
Thank you for joining me for Why Catholic. Be sure to subscribe to Why Catholic wherever you get your podcasts. You can also subscribe to my Substack site and get the next episode and other pertinent information in your email inbox. If you've been blessed by this podcast and you're feeling generous, there's also a way to financially support it. Go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe to get started. Also join me on Instagram at whycatholicpodcast, all one word. Thanks again for listening. My name is Justin Hibbard, and this is Why Catholic. God bless you.